Um, should we start episode 81? 81. Mm. At the moment, follow-up is in our show notes, but it is empty. Is anyone willing to fill it, or should we move no, right on? I, well, I don't know why you bring it up. I just keep this as a headline in case you guys later on want to add it. It's just a format. I think our short-term, mid-term memory isn't long enough to even remember if we do have follow-up from last week. Talk, I, I did get a little bit of follow-up from uh, somebody who listens to the podcast. And they were just saying that um, it was about the segment on sort of marketing and self-promotion. Um, and their comment was simply, don't forget that Twitter and the podcast and all that are valid forms of marketing. And sort of talking about what you're working on in a semi-public forum always helps, uh, which is good. Mm. I thought mm. it was very valid. Uh, and something mm. that during the recording I hadn't considered because I was thinking like, you know, dedicated marketing efforts as opposed to the like Twitter things that sort of end up happening as you build something as you go. So, But it, it mm. but mm. they were right. Like it does help to generate uh, a bit of interest. Um, yeah. I just really struggle yeah. with Twitter. I, I, I really try. <laughs> Me too. And it's like, ah, oh, what am I writing here? Who's caring about this? And I don't, I don't know. I just don't know how to word things. And then I'm like, no one. Uh, no, for know. me, it's just, it's just it's like, I, I struggle even thinking about using it. We talked about that in, in excess before, but I'm, I'm just trying to force myself to write boring things with images attached every now and then mm. to get into a rhythm because then the expectation is, yeah. is decreased over yeah. time, right? Because at the moment when you tweet so infrequently, it has to be outstanding yeah. if you do. So by just tweeting more and more slowly, yeah. people will get used to the low quality content <laughs> you're providing. <laughs> is that what we're doing with the podcast as well? And that lowers Oof, your... Ouch. your, your <laughs> Um, and then you feel more comfortable, which actually will help the quality of your tweets because then you're more casual and relaxed. You know, it's like when Easy you go to a job away. interview, when you don't want a job, you're doing way better at the job interview. Yeah. If you actually want a job, that that's a bad, bad start. Yeah. So always go to job interviews, not Tip want... Tip in a job interview, don't want the job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good to know. Uh, Thanks, Kai. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is great, Kai. No, I mean, but honestly, I, I would actually... Su- if one thing that we often suggest to people who are applying for their first job is that they should not apply for the job they really want first. Because I think, like, let's say your dream job is working at Apple. Then don't apply for Apple as the first job you apply for. Even if you, even if it's one of the 10 you apply for, apply for 10 other ones because then you will be comfortable by the time you get the Apple interview. Um, so you, you had some practice. Or even you might already have like one or two offers in your pocket, which yeah. will then help you first of all feel way more comfortable because you're no longer thinking, I need to nail this. Otherwise I can't afford food. Instead, you have already two or three or however many maybe just one, in your pocket, and you can use that for negotiation because then Apple's giving you an offer and you're saying, hey, the other one is way more, and then they might uh, adjust their offer a little bit, which is definitely a good way of making more money. Yeah. So overall, this is how to get hired by companies you don't want to work at by Kai Malnasak. But it's also still a good fallback, right? It's it's even if you're like, oh, I don't really, really want to work there, it might turn like I, I went to many interviews in my life uh, where I thought there's no way I will ever work there. Mm. I stayed there and for then, years. Yeah, yeah. Then it might usually still one be, or two, but it's it's good. It's a lot for you. <laughs> uh, no, but then yeah, then it ends up being better than you think. Mm. Or you try it out, and then yeah, then you know what you don't want. Even with the Apple one, go if you if your dream job, for example, is I don't know what's a team at Apple. The something team health the health team sure if your dream job is the health team mm-hmm. uh 
maybe don't apply there first. Maybe go through the interview yeah. process if you can for the safari team or the I don't know mail team. What are, I'm trying to think or of just very generic any teams. other company, yes. right? You don't even have to like. That's a nice thing about Apple. You can do that, right? You can apply for. Let's say you you're like you're you're kind of having health as your highest one you would like to work for. Then then watch kit and then let's say photos. Go photos first. And then you can do the other, like, can do the next one and the next one. You you probably get more comfortable as you go. But also Apple has different hiring procedures for each of those teams. So you might notice during the interview process that one of the interview processes fitted way more the way you like to, to conduct interviews. So maybe that even sways you to say, hey, maybe I do rather want to do photos because the the questions they ask, I felt like were a lot more fitting to those things that I prioritize in my own work or in my own learning or whatever. And WatchKit might have been super out there and kind of missing missing what you're interested in. So maybe it's not as good of a team because it's always hard to say from the outside. Other companies, it might not be as very... Like, there are not as much variance or not even the possibility of going through multiple teams interviews, right? Like if you, I think Google, if you apply for Google, you're basically having a standardized test and then they send it to like an anonymous gremium of, of people who decide over your application who you never met or ever spoken to. So it's a bit weirder. Well, yeah. Apple is a lot more, hey, you might actually talk to your future coworkers if you get to that step where you're going yeah who wants that on site and it's super useful because you might really like the people and you're like hey i want to work there mm. or you might think don't want to work with those people and then mm -hmm. it's better to figure that out before you signed a contract moved across the ocean and live in a new country in which when you lose or quit your job you'd have to leave mm -hmm. so yes that's yeah. always nice i'm sure <laughs> yeah um i so don't know how i got into this eh, was this about tweeting more yeah, eventually. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so the bottom line is tweet more and apply for jobs you don't like. Yes. <laughs> Great life advice. Thank you, Kai. The only problem that you will get is when they ask you, why do you want this job? Because you, you have to come up with an answer to that. <sighs> I, not necessarily. I, in general, <laughs> I think it's... I, I always felt best with very honest answers in job interviews. Mm. I've had a job interview where I was like, why do you want this job? And it's like, I don't actually know if I want this job. I... I, I was introduced. I thought it was interesting to meet. I wanted to hear what you have to say. It seems like those kind of parts are interesting, but, you know, I didn't come here ha having those kind of expectations. It was more, I was open to, to, to talk about it. Mm. And that worked really well, too, because it was honestly how I felt at that moment. And it wasn't like a bullshit, bull peep um, answer. Bullshit. Uh, bullshit answer that is like a can't you know that's that's almost worse depending on who you talk to like a canned answer of yeah. what's your biggest flaw it's like i'm too punctual you know i'm, I'm, I'm too, too organized nice. i'm too nice i help too many people Although i'm too I good am. of a developer i'm actually too nice yeah yeah anyways moving on that cool. was follow-up which we didn't have so great <laughs> great we spoke Let's a while a about a topic we didn't have so that's okay um yeah our first main topic for tonight Fixing bugs in mission control, Swift UI <sighs> issues. But before we move on, See, why did I yeah. say tonight? It's <laughs> it's just after midday here. It's quite sunny. It's uh, anyway. And it's actually one of the earliest times we ever record too. Yeah, yeah, this is it's, not normal. It's, it's um, barely evening over here. Yes. Yeah, that's true. This is this is slightly worrying. Yeah, what is the way? Like almost yeah. six PM where you are, yeah? It's not Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So anyway, like, yes. for this for this day. <laughs> 
for this evening, whatever it is, wherever you are listening. Uh, our first topic is fixing bugs in mission control and Swift UI issues. See, I know that we spoke, we briefly mentioned that we will talk about this, and I know that everyone's very excited, but I don't really remember this. <laughs> I feel like this has been like a what do you say? Like we've been beating this cat enough. We, uh, <laughs> Jesus, what we mentioned this last week right? for the first time. We were like, we're going to talk about some Swift UI things. And I know we were saying we're going to talk about mm. it, but now I feel like I sort of got it out of my system. It's been a whole week. <laughs> Bugs fixed. Uh, and now I'm like, it. now I'm like, Swift UI is amazing. Oh, okay. Um, no. Do you no, want to talk about how amazing Swift UI can be? We're actually, Swift UI is an emotional roller coaster. Yes. And it's, we're definitely at the moment at the kind of peak level. I think at the moment we're like everything is flowing really nicely. Um we're we're making good progress. Mm. We're not running into a lot of issues. If we run into issues, we know where they're coming from and we can fix them, which is really nice. So I think in the end there were there were we had a few issues. They were mostly related to us not really knowing how we wanted to structure our app and therefore ended with... Because, I mean, our app is very timer-based, right? So we basically had timers all over the place. Yeah, because we have like multiple views that should update depending on which timer is running. And there are different... Like we have different time entries and each of them could be trigger, like, could be startable. And every time they start, we want to update that view. Mm. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah. So it, there there were multiple parts to that. First of all, we did learn a lot about the the different approaches to how views are being rendered in Swift UI. Also things like if you have like your data model being structs or classes, there you kind of have to treat them differently, right? The simplest way is if all your models are structs, right? Because Swift UI will basically just update whenever the struct changes because uh the way like when when a struct is being changed it the memory address is changing so the view is being re-rendered because uh swift ui knows that the struct has it's most likely now different for class that's not quite the same right because you have a class and it has its memory and if you change it the where that object lives is not changing so you have to notify swift ui somehow that your that your object has changed and um, the way that it's working has changed in multiple iterations since the betas and then multiple releases of SwiftUI. Which makes it pretty hard to find out answers online because in comparison to Swift, it was always quite clear. People could specifically say which version of Swift they were using and then, then you could decide to translate it after that. But SwiftUI, it feels like very few people actually indicate where in SwiftUI's development state they are. Like they're not really having a, they don't have a version number in any way. Which so nightly build are you running? That. Yeah, very <laughs> much. But then it's also, um, you know, when you have it, when you have a struct, you it's not an observable object. It's just it gets notified when there is change to the struct. But for a class, it has to be an observable object, which used to be, I think, bindable object. Yes. Anyway, yes. 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 Stepped up, this was bindable. Product. Yeah. Bindable object. And, and then, that's why um, I still go to write the first time I write one, and then it's like, oh, it doesn't compile. I've got to change that. Yeah. <laughs> and then there is um, if a bindable object has things like published, you can have a property wrapper. Uh, called published, so the add sign and published, um, that automatically then notifies anyone who's observing that object that something has changed. But you can also manually do that because there is, uh, in an observable object, there is the object will change. Uh, what is that? An object will change. The object will change publisher that you get for free 
um, when you have an observable object, even though that behavior has changed brief uh, between, I think, iOS 13.1 and 13.2 and whatever the corresponding um, uh, macOS versions and watchOS versions are. But if you had an observable object that did not have a single published um, um, property in your class, the object will change publisher was never initialized. So if you would then... So it's if, only being initialized if, if you have if any at variable... least a single the, publisher yeah. or a published uh, property wrapper around one of your um, uh, properties. So, um, but if you would then use the publisher to send, so essentially hit the uh, object will change dot send to notify anyone who's listening that this object has changed it would just be ignored and nothing would happen and it would be really strange and confusing and infuriating so that has changed in in one of the recent ones so that as soon as you have an observable object the object will change publisher is actually being initialized even if you don't have a single published one so then you can have what I don't know if you have something um, like uh, something that's being set from from the network. You can then on that uh, uh, property do a will set and then actually send the will change notification and everything will update. Anyway, we because it was super very confusing, straightforward, confusing obviously. to us uh, initially, and we kind of wanted to make things work. We had a lot of those things. Uh, all over the place because we made it work, moved on, added another one, added another one of those, and all. Then we had like a published thing that would maybe also send the object will change notification. On top of that, it was a bit confusing. So we yeah, we now I think in, in some places we did also use structs which behave differently from the mm. classes because they are automatically being observed. You don't have to you don't have to declare them as being observable. Exactly. And yeah, that was just make it even more. I guess difficult to know the rules around it. So it was essentially yeah. all. Most of that was our own failing, and some of that was documentation failing, not helping us where where we needed it. Yeah, but most of that is now resolved. So but also there was sort of it felt felt I think I'm wondering if that could have been fixed with some compiler helping like some some functionality that could help you while you were writing it because if you don't have if you have a variable that you want to publish or that you want to listen to but it doesn't have a publisher um it would be nice if you know that if if the compiler tells you that could that be possible like let's say i have class a and i'm not having any variables in there that are um publishers or publishable um, and then I observe that from another class. Is there, w is it possible for Xcode to detect that that's not gonna do anything? No, the thing is, you don't know then when that will change. You know, you might not even, that property might not itself has a will set that will send that the object will change because it's yeah. the entire object that will change. It's not this particular property. So it might yep. be somewhere else in that class that triggers an, a will change event. Or to publish that event, so it's it's a bit tricky. Okay, yeah, so I think um, they go as far as they can, um, at least with Swift language features, because the observable object protocol requires the object will change um, pass through subject, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the that's as far as at this point that the compiler can go for saying, hey, you need to do something to for this class. Mm. Um, so mm -hmm. with the latest uh, iterations, you also don't need to pass through subject anymore. Oh, you don't. So if you, if yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if your uh, if your uh, class if your object is an observable object, you get the object will change 
which is an observable pub object publisher, <clears throat> basically uh, initialized for you. And oh. you can just hit the object will change dot send. Wow. Okay, so I can get rid of some old code then, because I'm looking at my code <laughs> that I wrote on the 28th of July last year. Um, oh, wow. Actually, but actually, right. no, that was when this file was made. This particular object will change was the... Wow, that doesn't make sense. How was that earlier? No, August is later. <laughs> Zach is in a time loop. <laughs> oh, 26th of August. Sorry. Okay. Um, with the commit message... With the commit message, replaces bindable object with observable object. This satisfies changes in recent betas, and I haven't touched it since. This is shipping code, though. It still works. <laughs> it, it, that's the thing. Most of those things still work, mm. which doesn't really help no. figuring out what is the latest <laughs> way. It's almost right? better because, if it breaks. No. Because no. we had, like, I mean, some of them also did break. Some of them were deprecated. We, we just had multiple styles all over the place, and it was kind of getting confusing to look at. So now over the last week, or... Over, well, it was like a week two ago. weeks ago. Yeah, uh, we refactored everything to use all the nice, new, and shiny things. It makes it a lot more readable. It makes it a lot more reliable, and we feel confident en enough now to actually understand what's happening. Yeah, and more. in terms of our timer, um, we decided to rather than having like individual timers for each time entry, we decided to move that up to another level, um, just to have. Basically, a timer that is ticking, and then we uh, retrieve the newly updated time that a timer has been running from the object itself. Yeah, so, so it's we sort basically of tried separating as that. So, as soon as anything is running, there's a, a timer publisher that takes every second, and then the objects can listen to the publisher and update their their text. Mm. Uh, every whatever the interval is set to for yeah. us every second. But it's up to the objects to actually determine how long it's been running for, not for the publisher. So at a high level, then, are you sort of just using an environment object to keep track of everything? I mean, this particular one is just a st static property on... B so it's basically a singleton. Um, just because... <laughs> you know, try to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> Not a singleton. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a static a, property. It's a static let shared. <laughs> I don't want to use the bad word. No, but and essentially, I don't. I still maybe maybe I'm totally wrong. I do not understand environment uh, stuff. To me, that feels just like a singleton with worse. It syntax. is a singleton. Yeah. I thought that, but I thought that an environment variable is not completely shared across the app. I thought it's no. uh, yeah, you only have on to pass it into each but I actually, view that should have access. I actually yeah. really like that idea because when you think about SwiftUI and the fact that it's made up of views and yada yada, if you have the same view that is replicated... Uh, so, I don't know, hypothetically, you have a table view cell that is shown in multiple table views. Um, you can basically have mm -hmm. the data source for that cell be the same. They both stay up to date. It can be across different screens. I actually quite like that idea. Yes, I'm sure it can be poorly used, uh, mismanaged, and result in all the concerns that you have when, you know, you have your app has dependency on too many singletons. But I think if you use it properly, that idea of basically having uh, one view that has the same data and not having to initialize, you know, there are, there are places in, in apps where you have table view cells that are more or less the same with the same data, but you have to set them up twice with UIKit unless, again, you reference mm -hmm. the same object. So, it's just that, that kind of, I think if you're using it properly and you have, you know, one environment variable to a view, it could work quite nicely. In general, I don't have anything against the concept. My problem is more about considering that I've been writing Swift for, for quite a few years now. I do rely on the compiler quite a lot in my workflows. Mm -hmm. 
And anything related to the environment does not help you at compile time. Good point. Like yes. if you would forget to pass in an object and you're referencing it from the view, crash. trying to access the environment, it just is a runtime crash. Yep. Well, if you have a, a good old singleton, at least your compiler would say, hey, that singleton doesn't exist. You know, it's at yeah, least point. like at compile time that you try, like if you make a change, it, it tells you. Mm. So I, I just but feel then, like... But there are, like we sort of indicated, other problems with singletons, but I don't feel like we have to get into no. all the issues. And, I, mean, I think in this, this is actually a really good use case for it because there's so many things that should happen at the same time. We don't want those things to ever be out of sync and we don't care if a state changes and we're not expecting it because whatever that timer indicates, it's what we want to when we want to update and we also wanted a global timer that ticks just to have all the views update at the same interval right you don't want to have multiple timers and yeah. then your total time for the day ticks at a different interval from your from yeah, your exactly. time entry uh, view for example mm. so i think I'm, I'm fairly happy with our restructuring it makes everything a lot cleaner yeah, um, yeah maybe i'm also coming around on the environment at some point i just feel like at the moment it's I don't have. I, I mean, I use the ones that 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 come with it, like the presentation uh, mode, uh, to see if, mm -hmm. if something is presented. Like I, I use the, Wait, ones the presentation that mode. Is that part of the environment? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's a good use case. I mean. Yeah, and you can get s certain things like accessibility stuff out of the environment and those kind of things. Mm. I definitely use the ones that the system uh, puts into the environment because I feel like I can rely on them being there. My own ones. Maybe maybe there is a, a type of flow where, where that makes sense, but at the moment it's it's at least not established as a habit for us and therefore I'm not using it. But maybe I'm coming around to that at some point or the compile helpers will change in the future. Also, if you actually use the uh, Swift 5.2 toolchain, so if you build that yourself and <laughs> hook that up in Xcode, the Swift UI error uh, messages are significantly better. So if you struggle with that, and you want to be even more bleeding edge. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is a good recommendation you're giving people. No, it's it's the best recommendation. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, change your ch change your toolchain to the uh, Swift 5.2, and then so I assume you've done this. I, I played with that. I'm not building it. For <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, I have tried that, and it is it is a lot more that you actually get error messages related to your errors. What? Which is kind of a neat change. Yeah. There's so many times when I'm getting, lately, since we've been doing a fair bit of changes related to data model, I would expect there to be a data model error where something has been changed. And then I always get the error at the frame of the UI view, mm -hmm. or, or sorry, of the view. It's always this line of the view where I set the frame to it. And that's the one that is always being indicated as the incorrect line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's basically, it's, it's, it, it feels very... It's a rough indication where... <laughs> in, it's like in, in what this file, file maybe or, or yeah. in one of its uh uh directly de <laughs> related views yeah it's a bit confusing but that's better in 5.2 which even if you're not building on to in which realistically you probably don't want uh means in not too far of a future we should get that in an xcode and ios updates so yeah so that was nice. i was about to ask when you're expecting to see this would do you think it would be sort of alongside an 11 point sorry a 13.4 i think will be the next you know because you'd expect that's going to beat us soon what are we up to mm -hmm. at the moment 13.3 yeah. um yeah would you expect it sort of alongside the next update probably to yeah. Tools? yeah yeah yeah, yeah probably 
So that will that will make a lot of the Swift UI, uh, especially error related things, a lot nicer. I mean, not not I fixing think, it all the yeah, way, but yeah. at least it's getting. I think if better. that would be fixed, that would already be a huge improvement for people who want to learn Swift UI now. I think you have to be very patient at the moment in order to do it, like pick that up at the moment. But yeah, overall, I feel like this really made a difference to our like app, and it feels a lot more manageable. It feels like we. Uh, we we definitely have a better understanding of how it is working now and what to like, um, what type of structures to use when and how to inform the rest of the app about the state changes. So that's been really good. Um, and now we're sort of just progressing on the app. Uh, I'm very excited because we are actually able to. So now we we basically starting to move over to using all of our own APIs and. I mean, mo- we've been well, using we, we, for, we've been like, doing that for a while, here. but now I'm. We were previously just able to retrieve all the time entries that were in the database. Now we're actually able to start a new one and actually uh, have a timer that updates consistently, um, and have user accounts for that as well. So and organization and organization part of organizations and multiple organizations. You can pick the one you're part of. Next up, you can invite people to your organization. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like this. It's it's really coming along i feel like we're further ahead than i expect us to be at this stage even though we refactored some things um so that's good Mm. i'm excited i feel like we might start sending out some small um test builds to close friends that are interested soon but it's more of an alpha state very much yeah but it's definitely now now i feel like our our swift ui Comfort level is significantly higher, and overall, I feel like we we're stuck a lot less often. It's like I I know like all the common fixes or or uh, yeah, like, like patterns the usual to get sus- suspects nowadays. I think, yeah, no, but it's also just like being more comfortable with publishers and knowing when things become publishing and those kind of things. I, I just think that's there's a lot of nice things now where our entire UI now stays in in sync which is really nice like for example if you open like on macOS, right you have a preference window and and your main app window mm-hmm. open at the same mm-hmm. time you make a change in preferences and everything just updates automatically it's kind of mm-hmm. nice mm-hmm. uh and i know more <laughs> i feel like now i know why that happens which is it's, it's yeah, a lot nicer it's not than just, just magic <laughs> cool don't know why that happened but happy no. about it and moving on yeah. now i feel like i i we're but, at a yeah. point where it's like hey cool Th- those things happen because of the decisions we made yeah but i feel like i know it sounds like we maybe should have started being a bit more thorough with how we structure our data like when we started with this but i feel like when we started writing Swift UI, we mostly just wanted to try to get something done. And then I think our plan all along was to optimize it. So I'm happy that we sort of got something out already. And then But that was that was also improved. our plan, right? We knew we wouldn't ship for for a while. Yeah. It wasn't that we planned to ship in a week. Then maybe yeah. you have to build things like spend more time looking into all right, how how should this be? But we're like, hey, let's yeah. just see how far we get and then learn and look up things as we go along. We didn't even know, right? Maybe a week in there is like another major change to yeah. something yeah. working like on on the Apple side. Yeah, so we I didn't want to get in too much to the nit like the, the the smaller detail until we actually proven the concept that it works to make this type of app. Yeah, no, I don't agree. No. It's not about that. It's more about I. I'd rather have something working and then figuring out what I need to note for it to become better. Yeah. When we're yeah. not like going to ship immediately. 
I agree. I do like iterating on stuff. Yeah, but it's also you now learn what are the what are the shortcomings if you build things in a you uh, with Swift UI on macOS with the UI kit frame, uh, mindset, right? Yeah. And then you kind of see, all right, I see. I feel like now we, I'm in a way better state of understanding why certain decisions have been made in a, in the way they are. Um, despite them not being documented, by, uh, you mean decisions by Apple? Yeah, yeah. Despite them not being documented, I feel like I have a better understanding now why certain things are the way they are, and therefore can make better assumptions of new things that I'm encounter. Like when I encounter a new thing, I feel like I have a better idea of what the most likely reason for for those decisions are, and make better default assumptions of how it should work. Mm. So mm. yeah, it, it's it's quite interesting. Nice, cool. All right, All right. So you send us a screenshot of your developer membership. Uh, yes. So I was hoping to have <laughs> an update for the podcast today, but alas, I do not. So I'm in the process of moving my developer account from an individual to a an organization account. Um, believe you can only mm-hmm. do it in that direction. You can't do it the other way. Anyway, that aside. Um, it, the, the process kicked off last night, but it's still in a pending state. So if I log into developer.apple.com, I get a nice yellow banner saying most of your account features are disabled for the moment. Um, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll update you when the process is complete. So I think I'm working with the, um, with the team in Asia because mm-hmm. living in Australia, that's the closest uh, dev support team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to guess that they're off for the weekend now. So um, <laughs> yeah. this will probably be sorted out late Monday afternoon uh, my time. So I will hopefully have an update the next time we record. Um, but yeah, the the thing at the moment is that it's stuck in a pending state. The part of the process mm-hmm. requires you to give them a company website. Um, I have purchased a domain name that currently just redirects for the company that currently just redirects to my personal mm-hmm. site. I'm not sure if that's going to cut it for them um, mm. as authorization. However, it is a .com.au and that there's a whole bunch of checks that need to be done before you can purchase one of those so maybe that's enough validation in there i'm not sure um but we'll see how this goes so yeah uh, i'll give an update what the next kind time of checks do they have to do oh uh, you need to you need to basically say that you're closely related with um like that when you purchase a .com.au um you basically have to have a company that like the the domain you're purchasing has to somewhat relate to a company that you are related to or an organization you're involved with something like you can't just purchase that any random thing in Australia? Um, so you, the company has to be based in Australia not is even that, that? It? they don't want to have oh. um, no, no, no not necessarily okay. you I think you have to have an Australian um, like entity set up but you could it could be a branch or whatever of, of an American or a Canadian company or something um, but you can't just log in Oh, you can't just, sorry, open a domain register and purchase any.com.au. You have to sort of do it with good reason. And I think the idea is that, that is so they strange. want, I think they want every business that is registered with ASIC in Australia to be able to get their relevant.com.au domain. So you can't basically name squat. Mm. Um, and so I had yeah. to, you know, sign a thing that huh. was like, this is my company, the, um, the domain name is relevant because it mimics the company name or it's an acronym for the company <laughs> name or whatever it is. And then I had to say that, yes, mm. I'm the, like my, my position in the company. Um, and I believe that this, so I actually was knocked back the first few times. Um, I'm not sure really? why I don't, I didn't record what data I was putting in. Um, but they wanted some data points and, and yeah, I was knocked back. Uh, I think I tried three or four times in the end. 
Um, and for some reason, that last one went through and uh, got the domain name. Uh, it is just literally just the company name, .com.au, but I uh, don't know why it wasn't approved the first few times. Um, they get back to you pretty fast, so I'm guessing it's an automated mm. process. Um, but yeah, I guess just didn't give them sufficient information the first few times. But that aside, um, hopefully the developer account <laughs> thing transfer thing goes through um, and App Store apps will no longer be in my name, which is kind of mm. what I've wanted mm. for a while. And um, okay. yeah, so we'll get there. That cool. is just, uh, that's very interesting. I appreciate that as a concept because it makes people not hoard account, uh, hoard like they, they, they can't really hoard domains um, and then sell them very expensive to the people who actually need them so that's really good but at the same time i feel like sometimes i just have a random idea of a thing that would be fun like i might have a podcast idea and i want to register the the, the domain so that i have that and that would be quite hard like you wouldn't be able to like guarantee to have it unless you set up ties with that name right yeah that's right i'm not sure how Hmm. loose um like how loose they are with these things, but it seems pretty strict as far as I can tell, like for random product name.com.au. I think what the impression that I've gotten from my limited research in this is that they want .com.au domains to basically just be company names. And so if you had, you know, your super cool app idea, um, use another, uh, what's it called? The, the dot whatever. Um, is it a TLD? Yeah. Top level Something domain. Like that. Anyway, yeah, so so use a different TLD if you're talking about a product versus a company type of thing. Um, I could be wrong there, but that's sort of the impression that I'm getting. Um, yeah, because I think there, right. are, there are a few options, you know, like, you know, this is a charity, this is a business, this is, you know, so you have to kind of have, prove yeah. you have some ties to the idea. Oh, okay. So I guess okay. yeah, it would be difficult to get a .com.au for a, a product or service that didn't yet exist. You might have to mm. maybe have a trademark for it or something. I'm not sure. Uh, I could be totally wrong. Oh, here interesting. As well. Yeah. So it seems like that the register in Australia is particularly um, forcing also that .com.au is for commercial entities only. Um, Net AU is for registered companies. Org AU is for nonprofit organizations only. ID.au is for individuals. So if, if you can just have your Zach.com.au because. Th- that's for commercial entities. So Zach would have to do Zach.id.au. That's interesting that they're so strict about. Yeah. So I, I all of just those. pulled up a site that I was reading uh, a few days ago, and it does say a registered company, or you need, it needs to be the name that you're trading under or registered under. It can be a sole trader, a partnership, a company, or a trademark. So yeah, it's very strict about. Mm. Like I couldn't have, probably couldn't have pettyapp.com.au unless I trademarked the word petty. Mm. So. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Um, interesting. Yeah. A lot of domains have weird requirements. I think in Canada, you have to be citizen or permanent resident in order to get a .ca domain. Oh, wow. Okay. But I don't think there are any requirements as far as uh, what the purpose of, of such domain is. I think I can register whatever .ca. If, hmm. um, I also so if have, you would be a, What if you would be a business, business though? Would you be able to have an, a Canadian branch or something? And then yeah, yeah. I just put it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you as a person don't have to have the citizenship. It's I mean, if you, if you registered as an individual, you have to have okay. citizenship or permanent residency. Okay. Uh, but you don't have to live in, in Canada. Yeah. You could be a, a permanent resident or a citizen living in a different country. Um, but I also have, a dom- if you have a, if you have a corporation or an entity registered in Canada, I imagine that's enough. Um, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, I also have a .re domain, 
Um, for that, you have to live within the European Union. So I still have a um, domain register account where I have uh, one of my parents' address in there because I, I left and I didn't want to give up my email address, which is a bit weird. But yeah, we won't very tell interesting. Anyone. No, don't tell anyone. But weird, I, I, I should move away from that because that's super silly. And it's a super silly requirement mm. because, like, it's, you know, you, people move around. Like, No, you should stay in the one country you were meant to be in. <laughs> but it's also, the, you know, I, I, I'd I, rather have the, the permanent resident or the citizenship requirement than the you have to live yeah. there. Because you leave and you're like, all right, no more domain for you. I'm like, yeah, Thanks. that's really strange. Yeah, strange requirement. <laughs> Domains are weird. Domains are that's weird. That's why most people just go with .com because you yeah. just register them. We still can't see our sales part of the website. That's still down and still no reply. So I don't know what's happening with that. Oh, you mean on App Store Connect? Yep, App yeah. Store Connect, sales. Yeah, for, so for the not. app we have at the moment, we can't see any information about whether or not anyone bought it. Which is probably still zero, so that's okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm optimistic. I think it's one person. <laughs> okay. Um, do you have any vapor updates, Zach? Um, yes and no. I mean, I don't have <laughs> Vapor updates in the technical sense. I have, mm-hmm. um, I can give you an update on what I'm doing with Vapor, if that helps. And it's not specific to Vapor, it's just more about backend development in general. <laughs> um, okay. So, okay, then. <laughs> do you have any backend development updates? Zach? Yes, yes, let's go with that. Um <laughs> So, I mentioned that I was building that Trends API for Petty, and that's basically done, um, which is cool. And then I got a bit excited during the week and was like, oh, um, now that I have this API, like one API, um, and I have a backend set up, I can basically do what I want now with this data, which is really cool. So, I've gone a bit crazy (laughs) in... That sounds very creepy. Okay, not creepy. I but can do what I want with this data. Okay, I can I can basically build the APIs that I want to exist as opposed to uh, having to just yep. consume the APIs that are built by the New South Wales government. Um, so that's exactly what I've started to do. Mm. Um, and it's kind of okay, like, cool. now I can do a whole bunch of things in Petty that ha- I previously haven't been able to do. Uh, one very basic example is if anyone's familiar with Petty and you look at the map view, it will take your current location and it will uh, pin stations on the map around you. The API for the government will, you, the way that it works is you um, give it your coordinates and it will, the API call returns stations within five kilometers of you. And I've always been limited by this. I can't expand the range. Um, and so short of either downloading the whole data set every time you open the map, which it's slow, <laughs> uh, don't really want to do mm-hmm. that. Or um, basically making a, a million API calls as you scroll around the map, which I also don't want to do because if I did that, I would want to do some kind of smarts about what it's calling and what location. And, and I just don't mm-hmm. really want to build that out. Um, now I can basically... I have to build for being there if you want some code snippets. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I can basically flatten the data and uh, and my own backend and, and have my own API for populating the map, which is really nice. So I can do... Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't decided the final approach. I could either just have one that returns, say, like location coordinates, the say the the brand of the station and the um 
and the current price so that I can pin all that in a little mm-hmm. map pin and that would be quite nice. Alternatively, the other approach that I'm considering, this the, the downside is that it would be a second API call, but the upside is that the map would be populated really fast and I can also cache map pins is have one call that is just returning the list of stations uh, by name and their their coordinates so i can pin there's not that many stations in new south wales it's like 1800 so no actually i think we're up to mm-hmm. 2000 now but it was 1800 a while ago anyway um so it's not a lot of things so i can if i flatten that data it's actually quite small and i can cache the the um sites like the petrol station sites which is quite neat and then uh update that in the background every now and then but then sort of do a second call for real-time prices so the map would load instantly because you're using cache data we do a silent update once mm-hmm. it gets the real data but then um the prices would be shown like a second later or whatever so i i'm mm-hmm. sort of working out how i'm gonna do this but basically the idea is still to keep petty really fast and one of the nice things about the way the api is structured is that it's always returning small amounts of data so the app has always felt very fast and i want to keep that um, with this update, even though the app will be mm-hmm. uh, downloading more data than ever. So, I'm just playing around with a few approaches, but it's basically gotten to this point of, well, I can now do what I want with all this data. I, not creepy. Um, I can <laughs> I can basically create whatever API I feel that is necessary for Petty. Um, and, and that's quite neat. So, that's... I haven't been doing much front-end work this week uh, in my spare time because I've been diving down the rabbit hole of trying to build nice APIs. Um which probably still not very good at, but hey, it's going to be a learning experience. So um, it's going going well, I think. Things are working, so that's good. Um, and this morning, mm. I spent a couple of hours tidying up um, my shared code between the two. So up until now, I just like copied and pasted the code between them because I'm using a lot of the same data models. But I moved it all into a Swift Package Manager project mm, um, nice. because the the Swift models are identical between the two. Um, so that's been quite good. I am still mm. in the process. So I had some duplicated models in the iOS app that would have like one field different between the two. And that always worked fine in the iOS app. But now that I'm sharing the code, I want to have as little as possible. And, and um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just working through that um, mm. at the moment, which is quite cool. Um, but it's going to enable me to do a whole bunch more stuff with Petty. And that's exciting. So uh, hopefully I'm not going too API crazy, but... Um, also building it's something. It's kind of fun, though, isn't it? It's really fun. Yeah, it's just like this app <laughs> can now do all the thi- like some of the things that I've wanted it to yeah. do for a while. It's significantly easier um, than having yeah. to sort of make an API that is not meant to do the things you want to do with it. Like flexible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I also really quite like working on both of both the front end and the back end simultaneously, like next to each other basically and like it feels like such a quick way of making something you can just like write it in swift and then like write it back in the api in swift and then you just test it in paul and then you implement it in the ios app and you just get it there directly i, I just really like being able to do both parts of this and, and now you had a sip of the the ultimate power of being in charge of everything you build so now mm. good luck trying to build around other people's apis ever again <laughs> yeah yes and no i mean i still am a little bit scared for when it eventually goes to production that i'm sure there's going to be outages and things i have to deal with and that's just something Probably you don't not. have to deal with when you're you know working with somebody else's it's like oh it's their problem um so we'll see <laughs> it, it usually still is there realistically mm. if you have a server running right and you're hosting on like digital ocean heroku whatever yeah. mm. usually there's not much you can do anyway sure. you yeah. know if if they have maintenance your server goes down and your server comes up there's nothing you can do yeah. it's the same as with yeah. anyone else having maintenance mm-hmm. usually especially with those kind of things if you're running your vapor server 
proxy it through nginx and have a supervisor that brings the thing back up if it would ever crash there's not a lot that you have to manually maintain yeah, good i mean it's getting tricky if you would integrate with very non-documented uh third-party apis but you're not really doing that you're working with the documented one so the probability of that completely breaking is relatively low so realistically i don't know why you would have any more issues like being there for example not a single issue since and when did that, that launch earlier last year and I haven't had to restart the server a single time apart from like an upgrade I made once or twice. Okay, so I, I wouldn't time. really expect there to be a lot of issues. I think we're luckily kind of past a lot of those. <laughs> hmm. There is uh, a definite upside and that, is, I mean, it doesn't happen much, but when the, like the real API does go down, um, my, my backend will still be up. And so it'll just be pulling in the like most recent data, which yes, might be out of mm-hmm. date by a few hours, but I'll no longer be subject to um, the outages by, um, mm. from the, the original API. And just to mm. give some, um, I guess, concrete numbers. So that I mentioned that entire, um, like the data dump, um, thing it's coming straight from so coming straight from the government api it's 1.93 megabytes it's <laughs> it takes like it takes about two seconds to download on a good connection and then that's before you have to pass it on the device itself so you know you're talking mm-hmm. probably three seconds before somebody can use the app if you're downloading this every time with the so i've done a flattened version of that for the back end um the uh, the size is 785 kilobytes now. So that's, mm. uh, it's significantly less. And that's something I'd probably be more okay with loading um, almost every time the app is open. Obviously, with, obviously, cache it to, you know, a certain number of minutes, but really you want petrol prices to be updated probably every 15 minutes at a minimum. I mean, realistically, if you really want, you could go even more nuts and instead of returning JSON, return protobuf, which would probably bring that down a bit more and i don't know if you do but you are you returning the json gzipped through the api no i'm not uh that is another because option. yeah because that is almost no extra effort yeah. right because yeah. on both sides gzip is just supported out of the box yeah. so it's just compressed oh so much you could do to speed yeah anyway so i'll see <laughs> the, the the other thing is that this is my backend isn't hosted in australia at the moment so even though it's only 700 kilobytes it's actually quite slow um but mm. i'm hoping that when uh, when that's no longer the case, when it is hosted locally, yeah. things speed up. So I'll I'll sort of do some real world testing too. myself, um, and yeah, we'll see how this goes. But I'm sort of excited about uh, this possibility, and I think it's gonna I think it's gonna lead to a better app overall. Well, I mean, it's definitely gonna mm-hmm. lead to a better app. So it's just nice to have that freedom and flexibility when playing around with things. Um, and I haven't been this excited about a side project in a while, so this is also good. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's mm. fun. and it's also realistically, that allows you to if you ever want to expand past news as well that becomes a lot more exactly uh, yes <laughs> yes 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 and i've i've known that if i ever do want to um to expand beyond this state i would have to do something like this and it's going to yep. be a lot easier the app just consumes an api and the back end deals exactly. with with like restructuring mm. it so yep. it's quite you nice could roll out um, new states without shipping app update at all that is, is really also cool. a great point yeah so mm. Um, yeah. Though at that point, yeah, if it does expand, I might have to uh, somehow chunk it up because, like, at the moment, it's very feasible to download all of the data for all the stations in New South mm-hmm. Wales because it's quite small. Mm-hmm. But if you know it expanded, um, probably outside of Australia, mm-hmm. I'd, at that point, I'd have to chunk things up a little bit because 
um, don't want to download yeah. millions. But of all things. those location math queries are kind of fun too. So even if you would like, you could pass in like a radius, for example, into your API, and it returns from a coordinate within a radius, and just expand that because five kilometers might be a bit narrow. Yes, you might want to have ten or fifteen or whatever, yeah. or even based on density, if you want to go super fancy, right? Mm. Like if if you're kind of in the middle of the bush, you might want to see the next fifty or or. 80 or even 100, right? Mm, if you're mm-hmm. driving from WA to uh, South Australia, mm-hmm. you might need like 150 <laughs> because there are only uh, gas stations every 200 kilometers or something. Um, yeah. So there, you could go as fancy as you want, but at least offer someone, even as a setting, right? You could have a reasonable default that might be a bit larger, but then someone who only goes long distance uh, trips, they might want to see the ones within a 150 kilometer radius and you could have that as a setting if you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, I've definitely thought about that. It, um, like from a filter perspective of, you know, only on the map, only mm-hmm. show me within uh, X amount of kilometers. Um, I'll see how I'll see how it goes performance wise. But I think at this point, there's there's not enough data to justify chunking it up on the server but it could still just be something that happens on the client if you know you don't want to see a map cluttered with 2000 stations which is totally fair um Mm. and you just you want to see a little bit so yeah there's a i mean Mm. and the thing is like i'm not sure uh what of these features are going to make it into um the next release like obviously i want to be entirely Mm. on my own server by that point and i want to have the trend Mm -hmm. stuff in there but realistically there's a lot of work and it'd be cool to kind of ship in a few months so we'll see how much like the for example the setting the radius probably wouldn't make it into the next release um but that can be a fun feature to play around with for the future Mm. yeah and it just allows you to do that which is nice right it's like you're now limited by what you want to spend your time on rather than by what the API gives you, which is a very different thing where you just prioritize what's the most important thing. Maybe the radius becomes the most important thing if you launch in South Australia and WA or whatever, and then you can prioritize that, but you're no longer dependent, exactly. which is really, yeah. really quite nice. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, yeah, anyway, it's just exciting. I don't know. It's like Zach discovers what building a backend is like. There's nothing novel here, but <laughs> still, uh, I, it's it's gotten me excited. And that's always fun when you're building software and you're excited about mm. what you're building. So, I'm I'm quite enjoying my spare time at the moment um, playing around with this stuff. Mm. I also think just doing it on your own time by yourself is quite exciting. Like, I, I always worked... When, when I worked with APIs, I tend to work with a bigger team and other people provide APIs. And I just found that it is... It's a fun way of working when you're sort of just implementing it and then you can add it directly. I just like to be able to have control over both sides. And yeah, it would, it would be, it would also be hard. Like if you always have to rely on the New South Wales data uh, to work the way you want it to. And now you can control it so much more. Exactly. Yeah. That's mm. cool. Um, all right. Very developer focused episode this week. <laughs> uh, I do have a quick follow up. Sure. Thing yeah, me too. That is a live follow up. Yeah. From I Hello Weather. Um, is that the same that you had, Malin? Yes. Yeah. So it turns out, uh, user error. The, the white flashing when the app launches. The reason for that. So this is, was something that you mentioned in the previous episode. So your pick in the previous episode was Hello Weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mentioned yeah. that when you open the app, it would flash white briefly before it goes into the uh, correct um, uh, light or dark mode. The problem with that is it was partially user error and partially uh, the default that uh, Hello Weather picked. And that is dark mode is by default uh, determined by the location. 
and the sunset corresponding to that location. So if if it's getting dark, it would be in a dark mode. If it gets uh, if the sun rises again, it goes into light mode. So um, it would do that check when you launch the app and then decide what mode to be in. But I have my dark mode already on my phone set to match sunrise and sunset. So you can go to settings, dark mode, and select to match the iOS appearance, which then uh, accurately matches the mm-hmm. iOS mm-hmm. Uh, so dark the app mode, itself. light mode appearance. Yeah, so basically, I assume that means that the Hello Weather app itself doesn't have to wait till the app is launched to That's detect right. what time so they you're just in. take what Apple yeah. tells, yeah, tells I it. I find it confusing like, when apps do that and they don't respect the system dark mode i know that i know there have been some that um more recently have updated they've had their own dark modes in the past and have updated to then support the system dark mode but it's still Mm -hmm. not the default and i find that Mm -hmm. i get you don't want to change users Mm -hmm. preferences but also when there's a new anyway it's a it's a tough problem to solve but Mm -hmm. i find it a bit uh confusing and i've had that share of problems where it's like open an app it's light oh i thought this app had dark mode ah it turns out the times Mm -hmm. are set to different yeah I personally, I, I prefer them all just sync to the setting. Sorry, to the system one. Um, Me too. As a default, yeah. I think that should hmm. be the default. Yeah. But it also but in settings it, it did say automatic, so I didn't even go into the dark mode settings uh, because I just assumed automatic means it does right. what I expected. Yeah. To, yeah. But yeah. that setting is actually called system. Yeah. So yeah, that, uh, now I changed that, and now yeah. that that uh, is fixed, and I'm very happy. And we got that as a Twitter feedback, so yeah. that's nice. To yeah. Do. Now when I read those different options, it does make sense that those are two different things uh, I, I think i was with you if i hear automatic i thought it would mean something else mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it, it makes sense i was never a fan of apps that wanted your location specifically so they could do a dark mode setting um mm-hmm. so i know something like telegram previously had the option to do it based on sunrise and sunset which is actually quite handy mm-hmm. um but it always wanted location so i'd always do the allow once give it my location, mm-hmm. and then... And I'd have to do this, you know, probably every month or so because the the time the sun sets is constantly changing. And it was just very <laughs> annoying. It's so much nicer that the system dark mode does it with the sunset and sunrise and you don't have to worry about mm. permissions and, you know, all this stuff. It's quite nice. Mm. Uh, and, I mean, that's also the idea, right? The idea isn't that your weather app reflects... I mean, for me, at least, the idea is more that uh, my apps reflect whatever I want the state to be in. Yeah, Maybe I'm, I'm very light-sensitive right now yeah. and I turn everything into dark mode in the morning and then I can expect most of my apps to, to adhere to that. I because think otherwise it's still good have... that you can choose to do it on the app-specific no, level. My, my point is the default, right? Oh, okay. The default, I think, should always be listen to the system oh, because yeah. Yeah. like there is probably a reason i picked dark mode even if it's not sunset hmm. right if i explicitly say dark mode yeah i probably have a reason for that yeah. at least most people would approach it that way i yeah. assume rather than having a second clock that ticks yeah. i do yeah. think it's a nice option but i think s- matching system should be the default yeah but either way hello hello weather good Good weather app. Still like it a lot. And now I like it slightly more. Yeah, me too. Happy that they gave us feedback. Mm. Cool. All right. Let's do... Speaking of picks, let's Let's do picks for the week quickly. Because Zach has to leave soon and we have to get through that quickly. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Let's do things of the week. Cool. Um, Zach, do you want to start? Oh, do you want me to start? I can. Yeah. Go for it. So, my pick this week is the GitHub student pack. Um, I am no longer a student. So I am no longer <laughs> eligible for the GitHub student pack, but I did want to point it out for anyone who may still be a student uh, and who either doesn't know about it or hasn't made use of it. So GitHub do this thing where they offer, they have 
I think it's like in the hundreds of um, partners for what's called the GitHub Student Pack. And it basically gives you a whole bunch of dev tools, services, um, things like that for free usually, or you get uh, uh, value in terms of like free credit for, you know, backend services, anything, that kind of thing. You get a bunch of free software. Um, and I got an email because I'm still on the, the mailing list for it because I think technically my GitHub student account is still active for a few months. Um, so, I'm still on the emails, but I did notice right at the bottom. Oh, actually, there's there's two. Uh, so, they've added a couple of, they've had 80 new services um, like apparently in the new year. And there's two that I wanted to point out. The first was Simple Analytics, which is one that we spoke about I believe we spoke about it on the podcast. I don't think it was mm-hmm. a pick, but it was really nice um, ethical web analytics. And I think we spoke about, well, wouldn't it be nice if there was something similar for iOS? Um, so, you can get this, I think it's 100,000 page views per month for free um, with simple analytics as part of this GitHub student pack. And the other one that I wanted to talk about, and this one's huge because we talk about this app all the time, uh, Tower. You get a free pro account for one year if you're a student. Really? Um that's oh, part wow. of the GitHub student pack because Tower have always done discounts for students and I'm pretty sure it was 50% mm-hmm. off and I, I did that during my mm-hmm. university years. Um, I have just re- renewed for the first time full price and now I'm kind of regretting that because <laughs> I guess I'm still eligible with the student pack. But anyway, it is what it is. Um, so, yeah, if you're a student- But at least you can you- tell yourself that you're not a fraud. That's nice yes, too. Well, I'm not, That's not worth not the 50 bucks you paid. Their money. But um, I know like, Tower's great. Happy to pay for it. But if you are a student and you have heard us talk about Tower and you kind of want to give it a go, but you don't want to pay for it, um, but you should pay for it. But if you don't want to for the first year or whatever, um, definitely check out the GitHub Student Pack and you can take advantage of one year for free, um, which is a super awesome deal. Um, but yeah, if, if you're a student who doesn't know about the GitHub Student Pack and- and you do dev stuff, definitely check it out because basically anything you could want or need to build build and ship software, um, you're going to get uh, benefits by using the, the student pack. Most of it will be free. Some of it will have limits, but it's still pretty good. Um, and, and I highly recommend that. It's a great initiative by GitHub and um, by all of the companies that partner with GitHub to offer these things for free. So, it's super cool. Cool. Yeah. All right, Marlon, you want to go next? Um, I'm not sure if this has been picked before. Um, I wanted to say the app Hopper. Has that been picked? I think so. Let me Google. It sounds from like I know the app, but yep, I I picked it in episode forty-five. Spoken about it. Oh, Savage. Okay. How about Postico? Also picked. Yeah. Did you pick that? Kai picked that too. Really? (sighs) Then I don't have a pick. In episode forty-three. Gosh. So you do like the forties? No, it wasn't that. We picked it was Grammarly, earlier. right? Oh yeah, no, you're right. You're right. My bad. I we have picked Grammarly, right? Yes. God damn it! Oh, oh, we have, we have no, maybe we no, haven't. We have not picked Grammarly. We haven't picked Grammarly. I feel like we've definitely no. spoken about it, but you can pick it. Go for it. Not a pick. Okay, cool. Well, uh, all those other apps that I just mentioned are also really good, but uh, I'm going to pick an app called Grammarly, uh, which is a way for you. It's like a spell check tool, basically. Uh, it's a bit more advanced than like the built-in spell check. It does check. grammar. It does grammar. One would I don't know think. if you could tell from the name. but Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. No, kidding. I know. I know. Uh, so, yeah, my pick <laughs> is Grammarly. Sorry. Sorry. This is really awkward. This is, awkward. <laughs> this is not going well, guys. That's the biggest fear of a speed <sighs> to be awkward, and you just achieved that. Yeah. <sighs> I see myself out. 
So, but first, my finish pick, your pick. My pick is Grammarly. Grammarly is a grammar. <laughs> giving, us a, giving us a clean edit point. I'm not well, giving you a clean edit point. <laughs> um, this so it's, it. a, it's, a, uh, it's 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 a it's a tool that you can use to check your grammar of sentences that you're writing. So if you're going to send a really important email, or if you're just very self-conscious about the way that you're wording your sentences, uh, you can use this app called Grammarly. And or if you're great. just super, super tired and you can barely speak, yeah, that it helps too. even yeah, at night. Yeah. There's a thing called um, sleep that's really good for that. You should try it. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you need to send that important email. Um, and then you should use Grammarly. And I really like it. So um, they have different levels of recommendations they give to your sentences. So if you write something, it points out obvious grammatical mistakes and it also points out spelling mistakes uh, if you're using the incorrect word for example you might use there instead of there uh, then it will point things like that out um, and then they also have another plan where you can you, you basically get hints if you're on a free plan plan where you see so it tells you that you might have like a wordy sentence or um, something something like that that is more like advanced features. And if you want to be a bit more, even even more picky about the way you write in sentences, you can get that upgrade as well, so that you can get to see exactly um, how you could change your sentence and wh- which sentence is too wordy. Uh, but I found that the, f- the free plan is really good. But I think uh, I've been f- I've been looking at getting the extra, the upgraded one. Uh, haven't. Haven't tried that yet, but overall, really, really good feature. They have a really good plans page where they show you, you know how you usually have this kind of um, tables where they show, f- this is what's included in free plan, this is what's in premium, this is what's in premium plus, and they have check marks. Mm-hmm. What they're actually doing is you can hover over any of those rows and they show you exactly what it looks like in the app. And I really think that's a clever way of showing you how, how it works. So if you're saying, hey, uh, what does fluency mean? They give you an example and show you exactly mm-hmm. what a UI that would correct your or imp- help you improve your fluency would look like. And I think that's quite clever. That's really nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they you, also recently opened a Vancouver office. So if you want to work in Vancouver uh, for Grammarly, uh, they're looking for software engineers. Ah, cool. Um, Do you know what type of software engineer? Uh, a whole bunch of them, but I think at the moment mostly uh, like web front ends. Okay. Hmm. So two things on the Grammarly um, front. The first is actually three things. The first is that I used it almost uh, throughout my entire student life, late high school and uni. Mm-hmm. It's good. Um, the second thing is if you are a student, you can... Uh, a lot, it partners with a lot of universities, so there's a chance you could get it for free, um, like mm-hmm. the pro plan for free. So just check with your uni before paying for it if you're a student, um, because chances are your, your uni has a deal. The third thing is I would just read up on the uh, privacy policy and stuff like that before using Grammarly, because I know there have been some surprises about them keeping everything that you write into the service. Um, so just decide if that is for you before you use it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just something to consider. I don't want to say don't use it because it is a really good service, um, but just also important that nothing you put into Grammarly is private, um, really. So just something yeah. to consider um, before using it. Generally good advice yes, for yeah, yeah, definitely. anything in the, uh, um, that kind of goes to web server. Yes. Think about yep. if you actually want that on yeah, a web server. Because it is a really because good even, service. Even if part of how they get better is by analyzing stuff that people have written yeah. but it does mean mm. that what you write isn't private so just um, mm. yeah, it's worth considering i don't know mm. um yeah i think it's also it changes when you're going to business plan or something like that um probably yes yeah cool mm. yeah. Nice. yeah 
Yeah, I'm seeing now how many different features there are. It's even things like confident language uh, mm. to see if you could reword. It is sentence. really good. Yeah, mm. um, it's mm. quite an impressive cool. service. Mm. Cool. All right, my pick this week is um, the Logitech MX Master Three mouse. Um, and it recently finally you get to pick this hardware that you've been talking about. No, that's actually slightly different again. (laughs) (laughs) I I plan to talk about how Google broke their search engine today and talk about those kind of things, but that makes it too. Yeah. Next week, maybe. Mm. Um, so this week, uh, I thought I, I looked at my table and I thought, "Hey, what do I have that I haven't picked before?" Yeah, there's, there's a cup, there's a pen, and there's a Log- Logitech MX Master. And I, I don't want to say I really like that mouse because there are issues I have with it, but it is a really good mouse in my current rotation between the Magic Trackpad, the mm-hmm. Apple Magic Mouse, a, a a vertical mouse, and now this one. Uh, which sounds like an overkill, maybe, to, to people. But I just used to have a lot of issues with RSI-like pain in my right wrist in particular. And I found the best solution, rather than trying any specific input mechanism, is to rotate. So I do rotate quite a lot. And that seems to basically uh, got rid of all kind of symptoms I've had, which seems to me as an indication that things are working. Um, and overall, I mean, it seems... Comp- considering that it's called repetitive strain injury, uh, it seems obvious that changing the way you're, you're, you're using your hand uh, would alleviate the, the problems you have. And um, I've used the MX Master Series for quite some time. I think I used uh, the, the very first one, upgraded to two later, and now skipped the 2S and now the 3. And what I actually like about the 3 is it's a bit angled. Uh, there's, there's a bit more of an angle on the mouse. So it's not... It's not like Marlin's pick from two weeks ago, the MX Vertical, that's feeling more like a handshake. But it's kind of in between, like mm. a, a regular mouse, like a um, let's say the Magic Mouse and the Vertical Mouse. So you're still having your hand slightly tilted, which should uh, reduce strain on it. Um, also, it does have a lot of buttons, most of which I do not use. <laughs> I mostly use the... The uh, left and right mouse key, the scroll wheel has kind of this clicky thing as your third mouse button. Then it has a back and forth button on your for your thumb. And then it has this kind of, I don't know what you call that, like your thumb rest, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one has another button, which triggers, I think, <laughs> so many on, buttons. on Mac OS, it triggers, triggers like the expose mission control stuff. Okay. I'm not using that. But they're there if you, if you really want to. Um, the scroll wheel is... I've heard a lot of people really liking it. I'm kind of medium about it. Doesn't feel quite. I don't know. I don't know what it is. You, you tried it, Mullen, right? It feels more like yeah. the magnetic scroll. Yeah, yeah. Hand. It feels like it takes a bit to get used to. I think. Mm. Yeah. But it's yeah. Overall, I mean, can be a nitpicky about everything, but overall, <laughs> it feels like a really solid mouse. Hmm. Log, Log, Logitech has Logitech. 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 I would say Logitech, but I don't know. Yeah, Let's Logitech. go with Logitech. Hmm. Um, they have their anyway. use <laughs> okay. so then it must be Logitech <laughs> <laughs> brutal <laughs> um, they they have their own uh, kind of receiver for so you don't have to uh, go Bluetooth to the computer mm-hmm. which is I, I don't know they've used this since forever and it's super solid uh, super fast I, I don't notice any latency I've not had any hiccups I think you had some Marlin yeah I US, but did, I was more yeah. related to the USB throughput probably being. yeah because I have a extension like I have a a dongle for it 
but like just plugging that thing in the back of the iMac I forget that it exists mm. and everything is, is, is great um, yeah overall really good mouse I could talk about mouse sing and mouse inputs for a while but we're <laughs> we're kind of reaching the end of our t- a lot of time slot for this yeah, week yeah yeah, but it's a good pick in general. I think if people are sitting at the computers all day, as I think many of our listeners probably tend to do, so it makes sense to have a good uh, mouse because or, or especially a good, good set input of device. mice yeah. in input devices. I think yeah. that is, to me, the number one tip. Just mm. just have a variance of different ways of of uh, getting input mm. into your machine is is super useful. Like even keyboards, like if if you notice that like there's more more of a strain in the hand that's not the mousing hand. Mm-hmm. I th- I I even had a period where I rotated keyboards uh just to kind of uh, mix mix input up a mm-hmm. bit. I think that's super valuable. And another reason why working from a MacBook at uh, all times might not be the best option. Mm. Cool. Zach is uh, completely ignoring that. That's okay. Uh, I'm not going to buy it today. I think we're going to have a lot of MacBook Pro discussions soon when the inevitable 13, 14. I, I've, I've accepted I'm just going to buy one like as soon as it comes out now. I'm just ready. I'm just waiting. Um, <laughs> yeah. What do you want from it? Just just the like update keyboard and, and the potential for a slightly larger screen or is there anything else that you're... Actually, I mean, okay, the larger screen will be nice. I don't really care about the keyboard. Um, I'm excited <laughs> for the touch bar, though, because my current machine doesn't have a touch bar. But what I am really what I really kind of want from it is the, the faster processors, which the uh, current generation oh, okay. has, have, sorry, the quad core mm-hmm. in the 13-inch. So, mm-hmm. really, the, the main upgrade for me will be performance, and I could get that by upgrading to a current model, um, but I'm not going to. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm more just excited about having something new to buy um, mm. because, yeah, like I, I could go and buy one tomorrow, but it would be a waste and with the new one. You notice more of the CPU mm-hmm. threshold than you do for the, uh, like, RAM? On this machine, yes, because it's, yeah, this one's a, not a fast machine. Um, okay. It is... Do you have 16 gigs of RAM in yours? No, I have eight. Uh, I would get... Really? Yeah. And that's not the bottleneck? No, no, not, definitely not the bottleneck. Oh. It is It is the CPU. Well, what Compiling in Xcode you use a is the problem. Single window, full screen... That single application open? How do you not run into? No way! If you open, <laughs> if you open Activity Monitor right now, sure. and you go to the memory tab, sure. What does it say next to swap used? One point oh oh. <laughs> One what? <laughs> One point gigabytes. Gigabytes. All right. So, so is your memory pressure high? What does that mean? <laughs> if the the very the graph to the very left oh, is that green orange or red? it's green it's like 40 percent of the way to the top really yes that's wow. i'm telling you the... what do you have open at the moment okay so i do have xcode closed i did have three xcode projects open this morning this this whole this whole front end back end and shared thing is intense <laughs> yeah. um i don't have much open at the moment i've got a few tower windows a few iterm windows messages safari mail discord uh the mute app that I use for my microphone, audio hijack, preview for some reason, but I don't have any documents open, and activity monitor, and settings, system right. preferences, whatever. All uh, right, that's impressive. Because I'm currently using 24 of my 32 gigs. Oh, look, don't get me wrong. The, the extra memory will be nice, but this machine specifically, it's a 2 gigahertz uh, dual-core i5. Um, when compiling mm-hmm. in Xcode, I definitely notice the, the processor is not fast enough. Um, 
Interesting. Yes. Right. The other thing also- uh, is the graphics. So, when plugged into external monitors, um, it can be a little bit sluggish sometimes. Aren't they all? I feel like no matter what computer, they all seem slightly sluggish when you plug them in. I don't know what Apple's doing with plugging in monitors, but it's not been good for years. I think difference between screen glitching and the computer itself being sluggish. It's almost like the GPU can't keep up as opposed to the GPU is not functioning as expected. If that makes sense. But I even had that with the 15-inch that I had before and using a 4K monitor. I sometimes just had the entire system going into slow motion for some reason. Okay, interesting. Because my 15-inch with the like dedicated GPU or whatever at work is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay. admittedly there, I'm not plugging into a 4K monitor like I am at home, but... I don't know. Uh, it's not bad. It's just I would definitely benefit from. I'm like the thing is, I bought this machine uh, early on in my uni life, and it was meant to last me till I finished mm. uni, and it has done that perfectly. Uh, it's working yeah. well. It's now at the service battery stage, and instead of servicing the battery, I'm just going to buy new. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's only like oh, wow. 550 cycles in, but it is what it is. This is Australia. Things get warm. The computers can't cope. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, not bad. Um, you're not. Wouldn't you want to hold out now for? Arm Max potentially. No, I just need to buy. No. Like I just, I just, I can't, can't wait forever. Okay. Yep. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Talk All to right. John about that. <laughs> I am not John Syracuse. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably buy All another right. one when the Arm Max become a thing. But that's another story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. All right. We should wrap it up now. Um, yeah. I'll yeah. Chat. To, I'll, I'm not here next week, but I will chat to you the week after. Um, have what? Right. So then, then I have to hold off on the Google search engine stuff. Yes, another oh. week. Mm. Yes, maybe. Let's right. let's see. <laughs> okay. All right, we'll figure it out. All right. Cool. See you. Talk to you later. Have a good night. Apparently, yeah. Apparently. <laughs> all right. um, all right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.